Tina Queer, no my Heidi my. My name is Will Appleby, and you're listening to Animal Matters. A lot has happened in the last few weeks. Greyhound Racing is facing a new scandal following revelations made by NewsHub that reveal potential neglect and mistreatment at a kennel belonging to one of the industry's most prolific trainers. The ban on live export faced a small bump in the road recently, but it looks like it will still become law in due course. And the government is proposing a ban on firing crates, following a successful court case back in 2020, bought by the New Zealand Animal Law Association and SAFE. Animal Matters is brought to you by SAFE for Animals. We release new episodes every fortnight, so make sure you subscribe on Apple, Spotify or whatever your favourite podcast platform is. You can also subscribe to our newsletter at safe.org.nz forward slash animal matters. Greyhound racing has been rocked by a few scandals over the years. Brendan Cole was accused back in 2017 of live baiting his dogs. Live baiting is where greyhounds are lured with live animals, an illegal practice that's believed to make the dogs run faster. The SPCA did lay charges against Brendan Cole for alleged animal cruelty, but those charges were later dropped. That same year, former High Court Judge Rodney Hanson QC published his report on the greyhound racing industry, which found over 1,400 dogs had been euthanised over four years and 1,200 dogs were unaccounted for. The most recent report on greyhound racing was released last year. That was by Sir Bruce Robertson, who found the industry had been unnecessarily obfuscating data. He also said that greyhound racing's social licence to continue was under threat. Last week, NewsHub's investigative reporter Michael Mora dropped a bombshell over two nights revealing new information that suggests neglect and mistreatment at the kennel of one of the industry's top trainers, as well as wider systemic problems across all racing kennels. On Wednesday night, NewsHub revealed photos and medical notes of eight dogs linked to trainer John McInerney, who oversees the largest number of racing dogs in the country. The dogs were in a condition that an independent vet said warranted an investigation. The information provided to NewsHub described the dogs were dropped off at a rehoming kennel with a variety of problems, including blindness, open wounds, bite marks from other dogs, injuries that were old and left untreated, lacerations and severe worms. The Racing Integrity Board has also recently charged McInerney for racing a dog with an opened wound that exposed tailbone. McInerney told NewsHub, that one of the injuries was from a dogfight, but he said the injuries were completely healed when dropped off at the rehoming kennel. The photos suggest otherwise. The Racing Integrity Board told NewsHub they were making inquiries, but they stopped short of calling it an investigation. On Thursday night, NewsHub revealed up to 300 warnings had been issued to Greyhound trainers for health and welfare failures in less than a year. Mike Clement, Chief Executive of the Racing Integrity Board, said almost all kennels had been issued with improvement notices for a variety of issues, including unvaccinated dogs, the use of unapproved medications, incomplete treatment records, an increase in dental issues, 
and more dogs found at some kennels than official records show. Clement also told NewsHub it's become clear that many don't understand what the rules are. SAFE is still calling for a ban on greyhound racing, and the racing minister Grant Robertson says that's still on the cards. At this point though, I don't think the minister has any other choice but to ban greyhound racing. And in an odd turn of events, Greyhound Racing New Zealand announced their CEO Glenda Hughes would be stepping down, only an hour before NewsHub's investigation went to air. Hughes said it was just a coincidence and she'd always planned to step down this year, but the timing certainly raises some eyebrows. Greyhound Racing New Zealand plan to appoint a new CEO in the next two months, and Hughes will stay on to help the new chief executive until the end of the year. We are now just over halfway through the so-called phase-out period for live export, and in less than a year, the export of livestock by ship will be illegal. Of course, to make it illegal, legislation has to be passed by Parliament. With control of a majority of Parliament, that's a pretty easy task for the Labour government. But the Animal Welfare Amendments Bill has been a contentious topic for opposition parties. The process for a bill to become law is pretty boring, but I'm a political tragic, so please just humour me. It first has to be introduced to the House of Representatives. The House is where the 120 members of Parliament, or MPs, sit and debate, and sometimes argue. You've probably seen footage of this on TV. Once a bill is introduced, it goes to what's called the first reading, where the House debates the bill and then votes on whether it should progress to the next stage. If the vote is defeated, that's it. The bill is dead. If it succeeds, it goes to a select committee, a smaller group of 6 to 12 MPs. They get about six months to examine the bill and prepare a report for the House. They also normally invite submissions from the public, so people in the community get to have their say on a bill. Once the select committee report is delivered to the House, it goes to a second reading, where the House gets to debate the principles of the bill and any changes recommended by the select committee report. There's another vote at the second reading, and if it passes, it goes to the committee of the whole House. Now every MP gets to have their say on the bill, if they wish to do so. For controversial bills, this can last several days before finally the House votes for the third and final reading. If this vote at the third reading is successful, congratulations, your bill has just become an Act of Parliament, and it is now law. Well, once the Governor-General signs off on it, but let's not get into that. Now, I am glossing over a lot of detail, like the difference between government bills and member bills, and occasionally MPs get to vote with their conscience rather than along party lines, but that's basically the gist of it. I've probably bored anyone who has a degree in political science, but this is important because it explains why it can take a long time for Parliament to pass legislation. There are exceptions, like when the government asks the House to pass a bill under urgency, which is what Parliament did for the wage subsidy scheme when COVID-19 reached our shores in 2020. But this is normally reserved for exceptional circumstances, and unfortunately, the government doesn't consider live export a matter of urgency. Obviously, we would beg to differ. 
Anyway, you're probably thinking three votes and a select committee. How does anything get done in Parliament? Well, thanks to the way our electoral system is set up, political parties have a lot of control over their MPs and how they vote. In the US and the UK, it's not uncommon for politicians to cross the floor and vote against their party's position. This rarely happens in New Zealand, and with the exception of conscience votes, crossing the floor would probably end an MP's career. They can do it, but they just don't in practice. So for better or worse, MPs normally vote as a party block. So when the government wants to pass a bill, it almost always passes without issue. And since the Labour government control a majority of the House, they have no one else they need to answer to. Not like the last term in government, where they needed to get New Zealand First and the Green Party on board to pass legislation. This doesn't mean that it's all smooth sailing though. Opposition parties have plenty of opportunities to voice their concerns, and I've certainly done that with this Animal Welfare Amendment Bill. This amendment bill that would ban live export divided the Primary Production Select Committee, and they couldn't agree on whether the bill should be passed or not. This committee is split 50-50 between Labour and Opposition, with National and Act holding four seats between them, and Labour holding the remaining four. The three National Party members opposed the bill in its entirety, and the ACT Party's member said New Zealand should adopt a gold standard approach for the live export sector. This gold standard approach is an idea that the industry lobby has been shopping around for quite a while now. Live Export NZ has been paying media companies like Stuff to place sponsored opinion pieces on their website to sell this proposal to the public. This so-called gold standard seeks to make regulatory changes, set animal weight requirements, require purpose-built vessels, and require more voyage and post-arrival reporting, as well as manage post-arrival animal welfare outcomes. Obviously, none of this addresses our concerns, that these long sea voyages are inherently dangerous, and ultimately, Aotearoa has no control over the welfare outcomes of these animals post-arrival. It's a last-ditch attempt to put the brakes on a total ban. Obviously, the National and ACT parties have drunk the Kool-Aid, but Agriculture Minister Damien O'Connor isn't buying it. Despite no clear decision from the Select Committee, O'Connor has said that the government will be going ahead with the ban, and he quite rightly pointed out that people in the live export trade have had plenty of warning to adapt to other businesses. So the bill is now going back to the House, where it will need to pass its second and third reading. And since Labour has majority, its success at those two votes is inevitable. The amendment bill will likely pass, and live export will be banned on the 30th of April 2023. The shenanigans at the Select Committee does beg the question though, what's going to happen if the National Party win the election next year? Unless for some reason the government calls a snap election, which is unlikely, the election will probably be in September 2023, well after the point live export will have been banned. The ACT Party said this week if they were in government, they would overturn the ban, but so far National hasn't made the same commitment. Without who, ACT won't have much success. But even if National did publicly state that they would overturn the live export ban, it's hard to gauge whether they would. 
Political parties love to say they'll overturn a decision if they're voted back into power. Both Labour and the National have made statements like this in opposition for years on a variety of subjects. But when they do get their turn to form a government, they very rarely actually uphold these commitments, especially if legislation has already been passed and the daunting prospect of unpicking the outcomes of those decisions begins to weigh on them. It's difficult to say how hard it would be to reverse a ban on live export. Honestly, I don't know. But I suspect it wouldn't be that difficult. MPI would need to recruit some personnel to approve export certificates, but otherwise, a lot of the infrastructure will still be available. Again, so far only the ACT Party has committed to reversing a ban on live export, and even if the National Party made the same commitment, there's no guarantee they would do it. But we should be mindful of this. National and ACT deeply oppose a live export ban, and they could form the next government. But they need to understand, this is a high-risk trade that must remain in the history books. The voyage is dangerous, and we cannot ensure the welfare conditions for these animals on the ship, or after they arrive at their destination. Long-time listeners of the show will remember back in 2020, the New Zealand Animal Law Association and SAFE challenged the use of fowling crates in the High Court. This was the first time in Aotearoa history that such a challenge had taken place. In November 2020, the High Court ruled that the minimum standards and regulations for the use of fowling crates are unlawful. In short, the High Court agrees that the use of fowling crates to house mother pigs is a violation of the Animal Welfare Act. The High Court told the government to go back to the drawing board and draft a new code of welfare that would phase out the traditional use of fowling crates. Well, it's taken a while, but two weeks ago, the Ministry for Primary Industries released a consultation document for a new code of welfare, and they've proposed changes which include a ban on fowling crates. It's important to note, this would never have happened had it not been for NZALA and SAFE's historic court case. SAFE had exhausted every other option to ban fowling crates. A 2018 poll found that 73% of Aotearoa supports a total ban. And SAFE delivered a petition to Parliament, which was signed by over 100,000 people. But still, the government wouldn't listen. SAFE were left with no other choice but to go to court with NZALA. So the government has now proposed two options. Option A would ban fowling crates, and option B would restrict their use to 72 hours. The latter is not good enough. We secured a massive victory, so we have to make sure the government doesn't water down these new rules. A total ban on fowling crates is also the National Animal Welfare Advisory Committee's preferred option. There are also a number of other changes proposed in the consultation document, including changes to the minimum space requirements for grower pigs and fastening pens. NAWAC is concerned that the current space allowances for wiener and grower pigs don't fully provide for the needs of the pigs. Now, of course, we don't support any pigs being kept in fastening pens. But this proposed change, as well as a ban on fowling crates, have really frightened the pig farming industry. In a series of statements to the media, NZ Pork said that the changes could wipe out the industry. 
But none of these changes should come as a surprise to NZ Pork. The NZALA told the National Business Review that the pork industry had been consulted on this draft since mid-2021. SAFE CEO Deborah Ashton said that other farmers had already moved away from using farrowing crates. And she also added that Parliament signalled in 2015 that they would have to be phased out. In short, the industry should have seen this coming. Submissions on the consultation document for this new Code of Welfare are open until the 24th of June. SAFE will be making a submission, but we also encourage you to do so as well. MPI need to hear from consumers and animal advocates who want to see farrowing crates banned. We have a page on our website that explains how to make a submission, so head to safe.org.nz and take action today. Thank you for listening to Animal Matters. This podcast is brought to you by Safe for Animals, Aotearoa's leading animal rights organisation and produced by myself, Will Appleby. Make sure you subscribe to stay across Animal Matters on whatever your favourite podcast platform is. If you're listening on Apple, please leave a rating as it helps other listeners to find the show. Until next time, mā